And welcome back to the Checkpoint Podcast. I am, uh, as I always am, Richard, <laughs> and I've got my co-host with me again, thankfully, Chad, Justin, and Scott. Guys, how are you? We're doing good. Good. Yeah. Good, yeah, we're good. here. Scott's here. Justin's here. We're here. Chad's here. Excellent. And uh, we've got three of you on one side of the table. I'm on the other side of the table because we have a guest joining us this evening. Uh, and uh, super excited to get uh, get into all of that. Before we do, though, because I've got two teachers here today, and here locally, it was a snow day. <laughs> yeah. What did you guys do today? <laughs> Moved a lot of snow. Moved snow. Okay. <laughs> it was, it was uh, literally a snow day. So did other yeah. of us that didn't have a snow day. What was unique about your snow day? What did you do after the, that? The uniqueness of my snow day was that I was at school for about 15 minutes, and then I found out. We had a snow day. That's right. You get to school at like <laughs> six o'clock in the morning, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. yeah about five thirty this morning, all of a sudden, no buses were running or anything, and I thought this looks odd. So. Mm-hmm. Nice. And you didn't just stick around for the day, and. No. No, of course not. <laughs> no. You know what? I wouldn't have either. I my kids were uh, pouting as I walked out the door this morning because they. Still don't understand why dad doesn't get the snow day if they get a snow day. Yeah. Be like, yeah, you know what? Not this time, kids. I'm sorry. I'm Not sorry. Not everyone gets them. Yep. Yep. <laughs> That's a bummer. That's all right, though, because when I go to work, I don't have to deal with, you know, kids. So. It's a give take. It is. It is a give take. And I'm so thankful that there are people there like you because I would not handle most of them very well. So anyway, hopefully you guys enjoyed your snow day. Um, moving right along, our guest today, uh, I'm super excited to have a conversation with uh, Dr. Michael Cooper. He is uh, a local author, just wrote a book. We're going to dive into that. Uh, Dr. Cooper, thank you so much for joining us here uh, on the episode. <laughs> Well, thanks. Thanks for inviting me. It's fun to connect with some of you guys, not on a bike, right? <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Yep, that's right. It's probably, I don't know, weird to see Chad not in uh, spandex. I don't know. It's, it's better. To yeah, okay. Yes. <laughs> it's better this but we, way. We, we, Scott and I have biked in the past with Michael, so we know him through that there you outside go. of this. So Excellent. Mm-hmm. So good. So yeah, we're, uh, we're really excited about... Uh, uh, about uh, tonight. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, your book and um, uh, the process of making disciples and what a disciple is. Uh, but before we do that, uh, just give us a good uh, introduction. Who is Michael Cooper and uh, what do you do and <laughs> what should we know about you? Yeah, well, um, I am a follower of Christ, I think is the most important thing. Uh, the husband of, of one wife, uh, Lori. <laughs> That's the best way to do it. For, yeah. yeah, we've been married for a little bit more than 30 years now. Awesome. Um, we've been in ministry our entire married life and even prior to that. So we're working on uh, almost 40 years involved in uh, ministry, mostly in missions okay. uh, in different parts of the world. Um, we have three adult children, uh, so we're learning what it means to be empty nesters uh, this past year, and that's been a lot of fun for us. That can be a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's provided us a great opportunity to travel more together uh, as, a, as we do different ministry things in different parts of the world, and, and so that's been a real joy. Excellent. What, uh, what type of ministry work did you do? Uh, missionary work. 
Yeah, well, uh, starting out, we did church planting back okay. in the days of uh, the fall of communism. Okay. And uh, uh, and then from there, I was involved in uh, academics and have been involved in academics uh, for more than 20 years now. Okay. Um, so I teach at a number of seminaries around the world and focus primarily on theological education, trying to help churches and church leaders uh, multiply healthy disciples, mm -hmm. uh, train up leaders, and uh, see churches reproduce. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And that maybe um, might be then where a little bit of the... Uh, the book that you wrote is um, coming from a study of Ephesians. And if I understand correctly, it's part of a series. Is that correct? Well, it, 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 the origin of the book comes from uh, characteristics that I laid out in a book that I wrote a couple years ago called Ephesiology. And uh, Ephesiology is uh, one of those neologisms, a word that is just made up, uh, <laughs> trying to focus on the study of everything that has to do with the church in Ephesus. Okay. And which is interesting, and, and um, because most of the New Testament has a direct connection with that church in Ephesus. Uh, Nearly 50% of the New Testament documents are directly tied to the church in Ephesus. No kidding. Yeah, and it's interesting. I, I mean, as a young church planter, it, we were mostly focused on the church in Antioch because that was ascending church. That was the church, you know, where Paul and Barnabas were set apart by the Holy Spirit and sent out on their first missionary journey. And, uh, and we gave little attention to Ephesus. Uh, uh, I don't know why, I <laughs> guess, but so, uh, for, for after... A, hmm. For a guy who's a bit of a novice, where is or where was Ephesus geographically? Yeah, so Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey. Uh, it's, a, it's a city in ruin uh, today, but uh, the ancient Ephesus was in what we call Asia Minor. So modern-day Turkey, uh, it's one of the seven churches of Asia Minor that we read about in the book of Revelation. Uh, the letter that we have entitled Ephesians was addressed to them, but that actually was a circular letter. Originally, it was probably first written to a group in Laodicea, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, the, the Ephesus, the name Ephesus got stuck with it um, because we have more manuscripts with the name uh, uh, of the saints of, uh, of Ephesus than we do for Laodicea. Actually, we, I don't think we have, I think we have one manuscript that actually says Laodicea. Uh, but anyway, that being said, it was still addressed to churches in Asia Minor. So, hmm. and of course, Paul was there for uh, three years uh, doing ministry, and it was a significant ministry, so much so that uh, when Luke records in Acts chapter 19 in verse 10, he says all of the residents of uh, Ephesus had heard about the word of the Lord, hmm. which is really a remarkable testimony to the Apostle Paul's ministry along with those that were with him. And he had quite a crew of people by that yeah. time that he was working with. Interesting. So the, uh, the name of your most recent book just came out um, within the last few months. 
Just in the last month. It came out in December. Yeah, okay, that's right. Uh, the name of the book uh, is Make Disciples, Discover the Spiritual Journey of a Christ Follower. And you talk about um, basically the, the, the premise of the book, if I understood, is here's the definition of a disciple. Here's what a disciple looks like. Again, as you mentioned, from the perspective of uh, the writings in Ephesians and the Ephesian Church, did I do Correct. that okay? Did I do that justice? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, yeah. And you know, I, it, it's something that um, it, we continue to think about in terms of what a disciple is. There's been a lot. Of, it's interesting, isn't it? There's been a lot of confusion, especially in the past several years about uh, exactly what discipleship yes. is and what a disciple looks like. And um, I thought that helping to add some clarity might help the, the church and those of us who are passionate about making disciples. Yeah. So one of the, uh, the introduction to the book, you talk about um, a conversation you were having with a pastor and how that kind of spurred on this this idea. And I'm curious what your experiences, if you had a few general or, or one or two specific uh, experiences where you said, man, this uh, definition or this idea we have, we might need to make some adjustments to. Yeah, the, I, well, I, of course, have had uh, the, over the years multiple conversations with uh, folks, not only pastors, but lay people as well, that uh, that really tend toward a very foggy idea of what a disciple is, mm-hmm. um, uh, and that, which is interesting. I, my my faith background uh, is in a parachurch organization called Crew. So I came to Christ as a as a high school student in their in their high school ministry, and discipleship was just a part of what we did. Uh, That was who we are. We were making disciples. And Chad, I know, can relate to this with his background with navigators. Um, And uh, and so for me, I I I thought that I've always had a clear understanding of what a disciple is and what it looks like to make more disciples. And that, that was just something that was a natural part of uh, who I was as a young believer and, and who I matured to be. In fact, uh, our first years in ministry uh, were in the area of church planting. We lived for 10 years in Romania just after the fall of communism. Okay. And I can remember uh, meeting with my pastor at the time. Uh, I lived in West Germany then and would travel into Romania before we eventually moved into the country. But uh, my pastor at the time uh, that I was making the decision to move, it really encouraged me by saying, you know, you know everything that you need to know to church plant because you, you know how to do evangelism, you know how to disciple people, and now you just gather them together, and, uh, and there you have a church. And so discipleship has always been a part of my heart uh, and uh, a, a passion of mine. And I can remember moving back to the United States uh, in early 2000, and getting reconnected with the American mm-hmm. church, just wondering 
where where is discipleship here? Hmm. It, it seemed like much of our focus was on gathering on Sundays, uh, not really doing a whole lot during the course of the week. There might have been a, a prayer meeting or, or something like that. Sometimes there were small group meetings and, mm -hmm. and so on, but really the focus seemed to be on that Sunday gathering. And, uh, and pastors uh, looked at that as their primary place of discipleship. And it, it's true. I mean, the pulpit, I think, is a, a sacred place, and mm -hmm. discipleship does occur there. But um, a, a key part, and I try to unpack this in the book, a key, a key part of discipleship is asking the question of, uh, of what kind of disciples we're making. And the kind of disciples we typically will make will tend to look like us in, in some way. Um, you know, you think of how we raise our children, for mm -hmm. example. Um, it, Lori and I, my wife and I, uh, have looked at raising our kids as an act of discipleship. And if you were to sit down and interact with our kids, you would probably be thinking that you're talking to Michael and Lori because they're very much like we are. Yes. They're passionate about missions. They're passionate about talking with people about the Lord. They, they're they making disciples where they are and, and so on. Um, and that's a, a key part of discipleship is the imitating. You mm -hmm. imitate those that you're discipling. And... Um, and so when we were back in the States looking at and thinking about what discipleship looks like it, and considering how the focus of discipleship seemed to be on, on uh, that gathering on Sundays, then the type of disciple that we're trying to make is one that would, much, that would look very much like a pastor. And not everybody wants to be a pastor. Uh, you know. <laughs> Some people want yeah. to be school teachers or uh, cyclists or, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And so we really need to be thinking about uh, who we are as disciple makers, what it is that we're doing, and what it is that we're calling people to imitate. You know, and here I'm reminded of Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 when he says, imitate me as I'm imitating Christ. And so a, a big part of discipleship is the act of imitating those that are discipling us. Um, and in fact, I think that's a part of the origin of the word uh, in Greek, mathetes, uh, is, to, is to be an imitator of someone. That's an... Oh, man. So there's a couple of ways I want to go with this now. Um, <laughs> I guess I'm, I'm curious... If I understood correct, this issue, I don't know if it's an issue, uh, but this concept of having church be focused on Sunday and the service, maybe the importance being getting together to worship, not necessarily focusing on making discipleship uh, or making disciples, excuse me, uh, was that kind of a uniquely United States church? type of thing, or is that something you guys found as you were working uh, in, in other areas of the world as well? You know, when we were church planting, I mean, we, we tried to bring into the DNA of the church the idea of discipleship. Mm -hmm. And so as we were church planting, 
you know, the people who were coming to Christ were leading other people to Christ, and they were discipling people in small groups and, and so on. And so that was just a natural part of the rhythm of what we, mm -hmm. were, what we were doing. But interestingly enough, as I interact with uh, church leaders around the world, in fact, we were just in Kenya not too long ago, uh, meeting with a, a group of church leaders, and there was very little difference between what we saw in the churches that we visited and what we see in the American church. Uh, that very focused on Sunday, very focused on you know, the pastor bringing the message to yeah. the people and, mm. and, you know, the things that we've become accustomed to. And not that those things are wrong or uh, bad or uh, that they're not discipleship. I, I think discipleship does occur uh, on Sunday mornings, mm. and it should occur. It should be a, a core part of what uh, is is happening there as we listen to the instruction of the word and, and so on, and we're encouraged by the word. It should result in our lives being changed. Uh, on Sunday after church, we should be different people than we were Sunday before church yes. and uh, and be encouraged in, in the way in which we live our lives through the course of the week. Mm. But discipleship, it really, as I think about it, is not something that's just done one day a week. It's done every day of the week. Yeah. Um, we, we always have opportunities uh, to either disciple others or be discipled ourselves. And, uh, and, and it's just a matter of what we're choosing to be discipled by. Yeah. Uh, sometimes those are negative things. You know, sometimes it's popular culture that's discipling us mm -hmm. or uh, or politics or you know any number of things that might be discipling us um, and and on the positive side it could be uh, the other Christian writers that are discipling us or or church history that's discipling us or those brothers and sisters that we're interacting with uh, on a regular basis that are building into our lives and so that making disciples is not just something that happens a, a couple times a week. It, it really happens. It should happen every day of, of the week. Which that is something, Scott, you had mentioned when we were doing our kind of our pregame session, right? There was something in the book that you kind of caught on um, where you said that he says <clears throat> something about to that effect if we do it all the time. You, you, it was the fact that wherever you are, you can be discipling people to walk with the Lord, whether you're a welder or whether you're a theologian or even a Spanish teacher <laughs> or something like that. Um, it was the, the comment, I, at least what I gleaned out of the quick read of that section was, you need to be active wherever you are. And when I'm hearing you talk, I, the, the thought jumped into my mind, discipleship takes someone being the leader but it also means someone has to want to be discipled as well. Mm -hmm. So it's a it's a two, at least a two part uh, activity. Hmm. I think, and and sometimes I think I could be the disciple discipler, and sometimes I would be the discipled. <laughs> I don't know if those are correct uses of the, <laughs> the verbs. Disciple yeah, the disciple <laughs> or whatever. But that would be making up words. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but um, do I have that correct? 
Yeah, you know, I think it's it's not an either or here. Um, I think it's a, a both and in in the sense that um, yes, we have to want to be discipled, but you know, there are times when we might not actually realize that we are being discipled. Again, I, I refer to our children. You know, when they're young, they don't realize they're being discipled. Mm -hmm. But in our family, one of our uh, kind of watchwords, if you will, uh, for us was that every moment was an opportunity to disciple. Mm -hmm. Every moment. Um, and so whether that was in the house or in the backyard playing or whether it was driving around mm -hmm. or taking the kids to school, every moment provided an opportunity for discipleship whether they knew it or not. And, uh, and I think that mentality uh, is captured by what Jesus says in his, uh, what we often refer to as his final command in, in the Great Commission, that uh, as we are going, the, 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 the Greek word there uh, is a participle, as we are going, and the imperative is make disciples. So as we are going to the grocery store, as we're welding, like you said, as we're teaching Spanish, as we're riding on bikes, as we're doing anything, um, we're to make disciples. Sometimes people will be very aware that discipleship is occurring, but other times people might not be aware. We might be building into somebody's life and we might not even be aware that we're actually discipling. Yes. And so I, I think there's, there's yes, there's an intentional, deliberate uh, discipleship that occurs, but I think just by the manner in which we're living our lives, often that will be a, a way in which we're discipling. I want to go back to uh, the question that you posed a couple of minutes ago of what kind of disciple am I trying to make? And I'm thinking about um, kind of your stories with your kids I have four kids that are, well, the twins are just about 15, but uh, four kids that are 14 and under. And um, you kind of got me thinking a little bit of, am I, am I truly discipling them every day? Am I turning them into or, or showing them how to be a disciple of Jesus versus am I training them to attend church on Sunday? Because mm -hmm. I feel like those are two very different things. Mm -hmm. I think we can, mm -hmm. you know, like he said, be very focused on, well, I live the Christian life, which means I better get my kids dressed <laughs> up on Sunday morning, and I better get them to church, and I better not be uh, the last family to walk in that sanctuary because, you know, that's just not how we roll in the Brummel household. Um, but whether my children know it or not, I am teaching them, I'm training them, I'm showing them, so I better be, you know, I have better have my, my discipling hat on all the time. Yeah. That's a good question. I, I am thinking about the whole, um, like when you were saying, Michael, you talked to people about discipleship and you kind of got fuzzy answers about or like what it is. And so it doesn't seem like, um, you know, Jesus gave the imperative, right, and said, you're baptizing them, right? And you're um, teaching them to obey, right? Um, and so um, that's pretty clear, right? But how he did it, he didn't explain how, right? He said what to do, but not so much the how, but it's like the disciples were hanging with Jesus, mm 
they were seeing him do it. They didn't need to have it written down. They were just imitating him. Mm. And so I think about the, you know, I think we've all at sometimes played the telephone game or you've done that in youth group or something where someone says one sentence or a story and then you pass it on to someone else and they pass it on. And, you know, 15 people later, you compare that story to the original and it's totally different, right? Because it, one person passed it on to the other. And I think, so where I'm going with that a little bit is I think the world is opposed and Satan's opposed to true discipleship and sacrificial things and a lot of things you call us to from Scripture. And so it's good for us to go back to Scripture, like what are we called to do because one generation to the next to the next, we tend to not get more discipline. We tend to seek comfort as humans and take the easy road. And next thing you know, we've kind of veered off course four or five generations down the road and we kind of forgot where we started so we have to go back to Scripture and say, what are we actually biblically called to do? Because we are very influenced by, well, what people are around us are doing, and if they're doing it, it must be good. Well, yeah. it may be good, but it may not necessarily be everything biblically we're called to do. Yeah. So we've got to keep going back to that original story and model of Christ and what Paul was doing back in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. You know, I like when I think about those things, Chad. I I think in terms of, um, yes, what we're called to do, but I think more importantly and more foundationally, what are we called to be? Who who are we as followers of Christ, and what does that look like? Um, and I think that's captured in that great commission, uh, and you brought it out mm-hmm. that that Jesus gives us two very clear. Uh, uh, th- or actually three very clear things that we're to do. We're, one, we're, we're to be going places mm-hmm. to make disciples. Uh, secondly, we're to be baptizing as we're making disciples. And thirdly, we're to be teaching. And, and uh, when, when Jesus says to teach them, he uses a very interesting word, tereo, which means to teach them to own everything that I've, I've, I've taught you. Teach them to grasp it, to make it their own, to let it so come into them that there is no distinction between uh, what it is they believe and how it is they behave. It just becomes a part of who they are. Mm. And I think in, in many ways, we've lost that at identity piece mm-hmm. in discipleship, and we've we've kind of designated discipleship as a list of things to do. You know, if I I check off that I prayed this morning, I read my Bible this morning, I talked with somebody about Jesus this morning or today <laughs> at work, or you know, I I I prayed for my meal, and and those kind yeah. of list of things to check do. Boxes. Yeah, and those aren't necessarily bad things. They're good things that we should be doing, but they should be coming out of who we are mm-hmm. in, in our identity in Christ so that it just becomes a natural a part of my being that, that now there's no longer a distinction between you know, those things that I am doing uh, and who I am as, as a person. And I think, you know, I, I, 
talk a lot about our our kids. I'm so proud of them. They're <laughs> all adults uh, living in in different places, and we have one that's overseas, and we have a, uh, another that's moving overseas, and wow. and uh, a third that's on the East Coast. All uh, that loving their careers, but all are. Uh, engaged in ministry in the workplace. Uh, one's an engineer, another's a social worker, and another's on staff at a, a church here in, in town. But, um, but th- th- their Christianity has become who they are. They, they can't separate from the, the things that they do from who they have become. And I think that's because of discipleship. You know, over the course of their lives, they've they've learned what it means to be a follower of Christ, and uh, and that's just become a part of who they are. Yeah. And I feel like that as we think about discipling others, I know for myself in in uh, my early Christian life, coming to grips with my identity in Christ, uh, understanding who He has made me to be. Not what he's made me to do, but what he's made me to be, who he's made me to be, was just absolutely revolutionary to me in my walk with the Lord. That, uh, you know, and we all know this, that it's easy to fake the the doing part. Yes. You know, I, I, I can easily check off boxes. I can fool myself. I can fool my pastor. I can fool my close friends. Uh, but when it comes down to the core of who we are, it, that just expresses itself naturally. And, uh, and when that natural expression comes out, that, that's when people really see uh, Christ living in us. Michael, when, you, when you're talking about this style of discipleship, <clears throat> excuse me, it reminds me so much of, of Paul repeats his confidence in the spirit throughout many of his letters he just he he just rants and raves about what god is doing in his life and what he's done and what i'm hearing from you is is something similar to that and a thought crossed my mind of if if that's the way that we're that is the way that we're we're called to live right because that's that's the biblical disciple right there is that we are supposed to be overwhelmed with god's goodness through that contentment attitude, through that thankfulness attitude, where, as you mentioned, it's, it's a part of us, and you see that. Where do you feel that we're not getting it right, specifically here in the States? Because what I'm, what I'm hearing from you, I, I, I see, and it's something that I, yeah. I'm guilty of, too. It's, it's, I'm not always on fire for God, and I, I can admit that. And I think it's because I, I also get kind of caught up in the daily tasks mm-hmm. of stuff. And that's interesting because I'm a Christian school teacher, so that's kind of a sad <laughs> sad confession to make. But I guess where do you see us slipping a little bit besides this, you know, the Sabbath day Christian thing? Um, where else do you see that? Where else do you see us going wrong? Gosh, I... I, I I, I don't want to come on here. <laughs> a, a, a I don't mean of, to start fires here. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I, I mean you're asking a great question because we're in an interesting period of history right now, and especially in the United States. I, I mean, we all are aware of 
the challenges we've been facing, especially over the past five years or so. And maybe it's been going on for a, a couple of decades. Um, and, uh, and we're seeing, you know, some interesting developments even in the, the context of the, the church. Mm. Um, when we moved back to the United States in 2000, um, I think nearly 80% of the U.S. population would have identified itself as being Christian. Today, that's dropped to about 60%. And the predictions are that by the year 2050, uh, the, the United uh, people in the United States, uh, less than 50% of the people in the United States will identify themselves as Christians. Um, it, that's tragic uh, to, mm -hmm. to think about. And you have to ask the question, why? Why has this happened? And I think a large part of the reason why it's happened is that we haven't really understood discipleship in the ways that we've been talking about this evening. Not that, you know, the book that I wrote or that what we're saying is the definitive answer, but I think discipleship is a key part of that, um, trying to recover what it means. And I, I think a part of what we're trying to get at when we're talking about this is uh, to recover a uh, understanding of the importance of character, uh, our own personal character, and what that means as, as it's lived out in our families. I think the breakdown of the family ha has been a part of the reason why we're seeing the declines that we're seeing. Um, you know, I, I taught for many years uh, at, at Trinity International University in, in Deerfield, not Trinity Christian, which is the, <laughs> what most people in West Michigan are, are familiar with. I taught at the, the competitor school. <laughs> but, uh, but it was interesting um, because we would, we would um, frequently encounter um, uh, the students coming into the university who uh, were just Sunday Christians. Uh, I, I, I taught New Testament while I was there, and I would warn the students on, on the first day of class as we're reviewing the syllabus that the majority of you will fail the first exam. And the reason why you're going to fail the first exam is that you think because you grew up going to church every Sunday that you know the New Testament. Hmm. Wow. And they would laugh and chuckle like, oh, it's not going to be me. That'll be, you know, the person sitting in the seat next to me. But without fail, <laughs> for 10 years, every the majority of students failed that first exam. No kidding. Because they really didn't understand uh, the, the New Testament, like they thought they should, or they thought they did. And I think that speaks to um, the, the lack of discipleship that happens when we're only focused on Sunday mm -hmm. and discipleship coming from uh, the front. And, uh, and we're seeing this bear out statistically as well. Um, over the past... Um, eight or 10 years now, there's been an observational study about beliefs of, uh, religious beliefs of Americans. And it's surprising that more than 50% of those who would identify as Christians in the United States 
believe that Jesus is a created being, that he was God's first and uh, first created being, and that he's just simply a great teacher and not God. And I think that that tells us something that we're not really communicating effectively uh, about who Jesus is, and uh, and that's impacting the things that we're seeing, uh, you know, in in our country today. And I I think in some ways that's in a general way I suppose that's getting to the the question that you were getting at a, a moment ago, in terms of where have we gone wrong. And I think, in part, where we're missing, where there's a gap, is really teaching about who Jesus is. Because if we get Jesus right, if we really understand who he is, then the other things are going to fall into place. And that's why I write in one of the chapters about doing Jesus-y things. Yes. Um, yes. If we can get that right, do the things that Jesus did, then uh, that that will shift uh, the whole trajectory of where we are. Um, I, you know, put a little plug back in. The title of your book was "Make Disciples: Discover the Spiritual Journey of a Christ Follower." And when I looked it over, I see some very concrete. I'm a, I'm a, you know, like I said, I'm a teacher. <laughs> I see some very good steps that you lay out in chapters here. And um, I want to applaud you for that, that those chapters are things you can do. And then there were some uh, pages, I, I'll have to admit, I didn't read them carefully, of some questions and things of the sort that almost make it a little bit of a workbook. Um, is that the way you intend the, uh, the book to be, where you take some information in and then you take some concrete information in and then you actually engage and do something as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm uh, notoriously abstract, uh, and as I think many <laughs> theologians tend to be. And to get something down to the concrete, I think, is really much more helpful for all of us. And so at the end of each chapter, I ask uh, the three important questions. One about, you know, what, what does this make us think in terms of what we're to believe, and then how does it shape us in regards to the way in which we're to behave, and then what does it look like, thirdly, to, for us to do this together uh, in a community? And I think by getting at those three important topics of what we believe, how we behave, and what it looks like to belong together, then we're, we're getting down to the practicalities of mm -hmm. what it means to be a disciple. I can really appreciate those questions now. Um, kind of af after having this conversation, uh, kind of tying in a little bit with the question Justin asked about, you know, where did we mm. go wrong? And then looking at maybe how do we, how do we course correct a little bit? I mean, I feel like a lot of it uh, is going to come from those of us who are in leadership positions to just take ownership of making this part of what we do. I mean, I, I feel like even just in a little bit of the conversation that we've had, just kind of some of the awareness, uh, right, of no, this is not just checking the boxes. This is mm -hmm. who we are. And I will now take the ownership of 
making sure that this is then now ingrained in my children Mm -hmm. so that they can ingrain it in their children and everybody else that we interact with um, where we can go out and, and if we take the ownership of it and we can make it contagious. And like you said, in the book, we can be, we can go make disciples anywhere, Mm -hmm. but it has to start with people saying, I see the importance we need to do a course correction as a society, as you know, society at large, but maybe starting with just my specific family or, or my specific team at work or, or whatever it is, um, start from there and, and see where it takes us. Yeah, that ownership is a big piece, and I like what you said, too, about the identity. Um, I just want to bring out one other thing that uh, Barna's done a lot of research about Christianity and beliefs and behaviors, right? And, Michael, you've probably seen this, too, but um, not that long ago they asked churchgoers, have you heard of the Great Commission? So these are churchgoers, right? Um Seventeen percent said yes. I've heard of it, and I can tell you what it means. Okay, fifty-one uh, percent. So half of people said no. I, I don't know what you're talking about. And so, hmm. if you're attending church, maybe as a Sunday Christian, if we're kind of using that term order, but you don't really know what the Great Commission is, you certainly can't own something you're not even aware of. Mm-hmm. And so the next question would be, of the 17% that knows what it means, do they view that that should be part of their identity, mm-hmm. right, is to be going, to be baptizing, and to be teaching to obey? And so I think when you look at those numbers, you know, why that's happening, et cetera, I think you, you put so your finger on some of it, but it's just the evidence that there's a gap. We're not being who we should be in large part. Mm-hmm. You know, there's exceptions, obviously, but... Um, there's a lot of opportunity us to be more impactful for the kingdom than we're being. And I think your book does a good job of kind of helping us get back to some biblical ways of doing that. And what I kind of liked about the book, too, is you you didn't keep it like, well, here's three points or five points. It's like if it was in Ephesians, like here's what it is, it's like there. being respectful to others in their relationships about suffering the gospel Mm. and contrasting the world and not just being so comfortable to go along to get along like if this is not biblical then we got to call it out that that's not biblical Mm. and that might come at some personal risk but that's imitating christ yeah yeah absolutely yeah you think about you know the the sunday christian um and if if we break that down there there are only 52 points of interaction on Sundays, right, in, in the course of a, mm-hmm. a year. And uh, that's not very many when you think about it um, in terms of discipleship. It, it, one of the, a book that I uh, wrote, I guess it was last year, uh, focused on the early church. And I, I, di- I did some translation work of uh, several uh, very early church documents that were written after the New Testament. And uh, so the end of the first century going into the second century. And as I did that study, it was really remarkable to me how much of an emphasis there was for the gathering of the believers together on a regular basis, on a daily basis in, in some places. And, uh, and it wasn't for church meetings necessarily <laughs> or prayer meetings, but it was just the natural coming together 
to, you know, as, as neighbors would come together and they would encourage each other in the Lord or, or they would come together in the workplace and they would work together. Uh, but there were always these multiple touch points where discipleship could occur. And I think that's a part of what we need to recover as well. That discipleship is, it's a lifestyle. It's not 52 times a week or 52 times a year. It's as many times as we can come together to, to gather and unite and encourage one another and learn and pray together and talk with other people about Christ and all of those things that uh, Jesus was doing. Excellent. Well, again, our, uh, our guest has been Dr. Michael Cooper. The book is Making Disciples, Discover the Spiritual Journey of a Christ Follower. And as always, Chad does a great job of uh, show notes, not only plugging in the scriptures that we reference, but giving the additional information. Uh, so we'll be sure to have a link uh, to the book. Um, and uh, Michael, any other way that we can contact you? Uh, are you uh, active on social media or anything like that? Or where can we find you? Yeah, uh, active on social media, Facebook, uh, more than X it is. Okay, yep. (laughs) Formerly known as Twitter. Twitter. Yep. Formerly known as Twitter. Instagram, I I don't do that very often, but Facebook for sure. And we have a website uh, as well, ephesiology.com is where you can see a lot of the work that we've been doing, as well as uh, uh, a as a as a part of the series that we've done on make disciples we the book that we've done and we've also done a uh, teaching series uh, of 11 weeks and that's all on our master classes website we have okay. a uh, it's called ephesiology or let's see masterclasses.ephesiology.com uh, where you can get access to the video version of of the book, and we have a number of guests from literally all over the world that have come on and given us some uh, interesting insights into their experiences of discipleship, and it's just it was just been a very encouraging uh, interaction with these folks. Awesome, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us uh, and uh, and having a conversation with us. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Well, thank you. It's been great to be with you. And uh, with that, Chad, would you close us in prayer? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Uh, We're here because you've reached out to us, you've called us, uh, saved us, and we're so thankful for that. And our lives have been changed, and we want others' lives to be changed. So um, this is not an academic conversation. This is about life change for us and those around us. And being part of your kingdom and advancing your kingdom. So we just pray that uh, we individually can take ownership of uh, being found in Christ and imitating Christ and uh, just um, being more and more like you and that we can help others uh, learn to live the same way, uh, to be loved by you and accepted and to live out of the love that you pour into us. And so we just pray that... um, you would use uh, different parts of the conversation tonight to connect with hearts and to spur on us to be encouraged and maybe even to change our thinking in a good way and bring us back to a biblical Jesus-style disciple-making. Every day, every opportunity, as Michael shared earlier, is an opportunity to be a disciple and to make disciples. We pray this in your name. Amen. 
Amen. Amen. And as always, I will close us out with 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Checkpoint Podcast. We'll see you on the next one. lead pastor here at Hillcrest Christian Reformed Church. The views on this podcast may not be those of our church, but we invite you to join us to find out more about what we believe and how we live out our faith. On Sunday morning, our service is at 9.30 in the morning, and we'd love to see you in person or on our Facebook live stream. For more information, check out our website at www.hillcrestcrc.org. We look forward to seeing you.